Western grass wrens are a charming, but elusive, native Australian songbird. In October of this year, scientists successfully translocated 85 of them back onto Dirk Hartog Island in Western Australia, as a part of the island's Return to 1616 Ecological Restoration Project. These scientists included Dr Saul Cohen, a research scientist from the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions, and Aline Gibson-Vega, a PhD candidate from the University of Western Australia. Welcome to Cosmos Insights, where our newsroom journalists talk with the researchers who are changing our world. I'm Emma Perfetto, and this is Saul Cohen and Aline Gibson-Vega. Saul, I know that the Western grass wrens have been locally extinct on Dirk Hartog for over a century. Can you tell me a little bit about that and why we're now seeing efforts to reintroduce them? So, yeah, the Western grass wren disappeared from Dirk Hartog Island around 100 years ago. Um, we understand that the reasons behind that were... I guess quite familiar for a lot of native species in Australia, uh, degradation of the landscape by um, by stock and by feral goats, but also predation by feral cats. And that was too much for the grass wrens to take and their population dwindled to the point of extinction. But um, fortunately, they have remained on the mainland in, in Shark Bay and they've been, through the Return to 1616 project, there's been a sustained effort to remove sheep and goats and, of course, feral cats from Dirk Hartog Island. And that has set the scene for a swathe of um, reintroductions of native, uh, of native fauna that has become locally extinct on Dirk Hartog. And that included the Western grass wren, uh, which was, yeah, it was very exciting to have that opportunity to, to put the grass wren back on Dirk Hartog. Yes, super exciting. And Aline, I understand that your PhD research was actually used to inform both the number of birds that were translocated and where they were collected from. Can you tell me a little bit about what was involved in figuring all that out and why it's important to know? Yeah, of course. So there's a couple of steps involved in kind of trying to figure out that number that we need and also to have decision-making around where we should be sourcing animals from. So first, I had to basically look into the basic biology of the species. So what is their social organisation? Uh, what's kind of general breeding look like? And also I collected some tissue samples to get an idea of their genetics. So are the two populations connected in any way or are they two different entities? And once I had that information, I could plug it into a model. And what that model is trying to do is basically look for a minimum threshold of how many animals we need to meet certain translocation criteria that we've developed. So with that, uh, we got like our minimum number that we have and we actually know that we should be, well, sourcing from both populations can actually benefit the translocated population in increasing genetic diversity. It's really important to do these things because it basically justifies why we're taking the amount of animals that we are and why we're taking them from certain areas. In addition to that, it's a really good way to test impact and risk to source populations. So translocating more animals isn't always necessarily better if that actually puts the source populations at risk. So it's a good way to justify why we're doing what we're doing and also making sure that the, where we're harvesting from isn't impacted. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I hadn't thought about it that way before. And so I know that for you know the same species of songbird, if you find it in different geographical locations, they can have different like song dialects, kind of like us humans do with our language. 
did you have to consider this for translocation as well? Yeah, so I did. So as you said, um, the grass wrens are songbirds, so they participate in daily territorial singing to defend their territory. And the models that I was talking about before, they can't really incorporate um, behavioural considerations and predictions in the same way that we can with uh, like ecological, biological data. So I had to first figure out, do they have different song dialects? And also figure out, do they actually respond differently towards song of their own population or the other population? Because we're thinking about translocating animals from both regions, it's really important to try and get predictions about how they might interact. So I first took song and I established, do they have song dialects, yes or no? And I didn't really find evidence for that. But even though I didn't find any evidence, it's still important to test that on the birds because they might hear things that we can't quantify. And in doing that, I also didn't find any behavioural differences. The birds didn't really care if the songs were coming from their own or a different population. They just didn't like the fact that I was simulating a bird in the territory, <laughs> so, which is good news, I guess. Um, so it was really great to, to get those results as well because, again, it supports mixing from both populations to have that genetic benefit but with no identified risks to territorial singing. Uh, but keep in mind that song can have so many different functions that I didn't actually test for, like mate choice, but at least there is some aspect that I could test and we didn't identify risk. Totally makes sense. So, so now that the birds are on dirt car talk, um, how are they doing? Like, are you continuing to monitor them? Yeah, so obviously with any um, translocation of any species you really want to to get that information about early survival and you know the birds have they survived the translocation are they finding food are they using the area that we've put them into so we um the team that were catching the birds were fitting them with uh, tiny little radio transmitters and then the team that were on Dirk Hartog were following the um the birds around and just checking in on them um, on a daily basis just to make sure that they were alive and using the the area of habitat that um, was in the release area and so we we tagged 26 birds in total and of course some of the some of the birds lost their their tags after um, a week or two but overall over the course of uh, so the first month on the island we were able to get information on survival the majority of the birds were surviving we only we, as far as we're aware we only had one one death that was probably from a bird of prey um and that the birds was seemed to be settling into the the release area and mixing with other grass runs which was really exciting so that's all was all really positive uh, so over summer, we've deployed um, what we've termed autonomous recording units. Um, so essentially recording devices that uh, will record for the first couple of hours around sunrise um, when the birds are most active and most vocal. And so and over summer, hopefully they'll, they'll give us some information on the presence of the birds at the release, at their release sites. And that will give us some confidence that they've they've survived the summer and they've settled into that area and then when we go back to the islands uh, in autumn and we we do some surveys hopefully we'll be able to find them again and see that they've um, established pair bonds and if they're looking like they're going to um, breed um, coming into the, the winter breeding season so yeah fingers crossed that it all goes well but so far the, pro the signs are very promising that's really really great news and sort of looking to the future as well, were there any sort of next steps for the ecological restoration of the island? 
So we're really, aside from the, the eradications of goats and, and sheep and cats, uh, we, we're really only at the halfway mark in terms of the, the fauna reconstruction uh, component of uh, the ecological restoration. So there are hopefully another six species to be reintroduced to the island. Um, the hope is that the next one will be the brush-tailed mulgara, uh, carnivorous marsupial from uh, the arid zone of Australia. And there'll be yeah, a number of other species um, that will hopefully be, be returned to the island over the next the course of the next uh, five years or so. Um, which, yeah, it's it's a huge project, a massive undertaking. But, um, yeah, so far there have been, been a few wins at the moment. There's, um, along with the grass wren, six other species that have been uh, translocated to the islands. And with a couple, it's still a little bit t- too early to tell. But with the other species, they appear to have um, established really well and the populations are growing. And we're starting to see some, some signs of change to the islands with some of the... Um, the digging mammals, um, such as bandicoots, um, clearly having an impact on the, the, the ecosystem. So, yeah, it's it's kind of an exciting time on Dirk Hartog Island. Yeah, super exciting. And I can't wait to keep my eye out for more news coming out of the, of the restoration there. Thank you so much to the both of you for chatting with me today. Uh, I really appreciate it. You can read more about Western grass wrens, birdsong and wildlife conservation on our website, cosmosmagazine.com. This podcast is produced by the Royal Institution of Australia in Adelaide on Ghana land. The Royal Institution of Australia is a not-for-profit whose mission is to communicate science widely as a key to a better world. We do this through our stories, which are turned into educational resources teaching the scientists of tomorrow about the science of today in classrooms across Australia. Support us by subscribing to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's last print science magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, its sister e-publication.